If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the globe, the world, intergalactic, wherever you happen to be while you're listening to me, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. That means there's two of us, just like Will Smith and his son in that music video, helping me bring this wonderful podcast to you this week, Mr. Brandon Pham. I am the first forgotten son. This is Brandon Pham. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, along with us, a returning guest, Emma from Game Workers Unite. Hey, thanks for having me on. <laughs> so as this is uh, coming out, you guys are realizing like uh, there's two weeks left to GDC. Uh, and uh, oh we're doing a lot of pre-GDC uh, preparations on our side, but also we want to talk to Emma to kind of get an update on what the plans are. Because obviously the last year was a good step forward for a lot of interested parties to think about unionization. But this past year ongoing has been creating a lot of steam. Uh, so what what kind of... Uh, what what are we looking at for GDC here uh, with GWU? Yeah, so um, <laughs> you saying it's only two weeks away is a little terrifying, um, as it kind of is every year when it comes around. But um, yeah, so like last year, we got our real kind of first big wave of press and kind of international attention as an organization, um, you know, dedicated to organizing the games industry and, you know, uh, doing education work around unionization and labor rights. Um, since then, we've now expanded into kind of the, this kind of like full on, uh, full blown international movement and organization. We have, um, 25 plus local and national chapters and unions, um, across four continents and a fifth continent coming very soon. Um, that's in development and, um, you know, we have organizer training programs and all kinds of literature and stuff. And yeah, things have really kind of grown massively for our organization in the last year. So we really wanted to come back to GDC with, um, you know, some like real big, uh, kind of steps. Right. Um, so, I mean, off the top of my head, um, some of the things we've got, um, this, this year is, uh, so, I mean, probably the thing that is most interesting to people is, you know, we kind of got our start kind of planning direct action around a, uh, a, a round table hosted by the IGDA about, you know, the pros and cons of unionization, um, which of course, I, I think a lot of people are familiar with possibly, um, it ended up being a, a standing room only, uh, kind of event. Yeah. So last year, uh, we kind of, you know, organized uh, some direct action around, um, you know, an IGDA panel um, or roundtable rather discussion about unionization in the games industry with this kind of pros and cons um, aspect to it. Um, the room was unanimously full of workers who are supportive of unionization and um, openly discussing, you know, problems in the industry, whereas the moderator, the uh, executive director of the IGDA, Jen McLean, she kept kind of 
trying to bring up lots of cons and things. And, you know, people acknowledged it, but like she was it felt like she was kind of on the defensive, which was very frustrating. So the interesting thing about this year is that um, Game Workers Unite has actually effectively replaced the IGDA's roundtable and we will be hosting a roundtable on unionization um, this year, except for we will kind of essentially be starting with the premise of things are bad in the games industry. Um, workers have no leverage and no um, control over the direction of their studios and uh, the industry as a whole. Um, and unionization is the best tool we have in front of us. How can we come together as a community to discuss unionization, make sure that we're thinking about it in a way that's democratic and f- focused on like rank and file organizing and, you know, um, making sure it's not bureaucratic and, you know, all of these things and figuring out next steps and strategies, how we can, you know, make tangible progress towards building that industry we all want to see. Um, so that's kind of like our main event. Um, it's kind of a two-parter conversation. Um, first on uh, Thursday, we have um, kind of the part one of that unionization roundtable um, where people can kind of like ask questions and have a big conversation about um, what unionization means to them, conditions that they're facing, um, core issues that our, our workers and in our industry is facing as a whole. And then uh, we'll, we'll ask people to go out into that kind of final night of the conference and, you know, talk with others about it, talk about strategies and ideas for how we can um, organize the industry and things. And then Friday, we'll come back for part two, where we talk about those strategies. We talk about the things we've all brainstormed together um, throughout the conference. Um, so that's that's really exciting. Um, the two other sessions that we have in, in the like proper conference are in the Indie Games Summit. We have a um, kind of a panel talk on embracing the co-op studio model for indie games and like mid-sized studios. Um, it's a really exciting talk. We have, you know, uh, people like Scott Benson of Night in the Woods, um, and Ian Thomas of Tailspinners, and, um, we've got Steve Philby from Motion Twin, uh, this, the studio behind, you know, Dead Siles, um, and Ted Anderson of Tonight We Riot, um, who belongs to a worker co-op. All these people, um, make games as worker co-ops. And so they're going to be talking about their experience forming co-ops and talking about, um, how they can benefit people, how they can run more efficiently and cost effectively, um, how it allows for more creative control for a whole team. Um, that's a really exciting one. I'm super stoked about that. And then the other session that we have in the conference will be, um, it's called Lessons from Labor Union Organizers. Um, it's a panel that I will be moderating um, with uh, organizers from various unions, including um, uh, we've got uh, a, a, an organizer from uh, the Writers Guild of America East. We have someone from SAG-AFTRA um, and uh, an organizer from the Game Workers Unite UK Union. And we also, you know, this is a late edition, but we... Uh, just today, actually added Lish Schuler from uh, uh, the AFL CIO, which is um, the kind of like largest labor organization and labor federation in the United States. Um, she serves as as the secretary, and she'll be on uh, the panel as well. So that's a really exciting one. Um, really stoked about that. And the last half will be all kind of like a QA where people in the audience can talk about. Um, issues that they're facing and how uh, the organizers might help them or figure out like ways to help them uh, organize kind of around some of those issues in their workplace and talk about, you know, 
how we can work as an industry kind of moving forward um, when talking about labor conditions and how to improve them. So that's really cool. Um, so those are the four sessions we have at GDC. And then on top of that, we also have a social uh, Wednesday night. Um, and actually, it's more the, the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah. again, all, all these uh, info, you know, uh, just to, for listeners out there, what hall or, or room uh, again, where these sessions going to be held? Sure. So the sessions will be throughout the Game Developers Conference. Um, you know, uh, the the co-op one will be on the West Hall, um, the unionization roundtables in the South Hall, and the labor union organizer panel is on the West Hall. Um, if people want to see a full schedule, um, by the time this podcast airs, we should have the full schedule on our Twitter, um, at GameWorkers, where people can find, you know, the location and times and dates um, and descriptions for all of the different sessions and things that will happen and again uh listeners out there if you're not writing this down you know visit our website <laughs> there's gonna there's a blog associated with this episode so all the info there uh it's definitely one of those um huge changes i think in the past year um coincidentally with all the fallout with telltale and shortly after the activision yeah. stuff there was just a, like a uh routinely rhythmic problem that was pronounced every two three months which i think um helped with layoff cadence right yeah that's a terrible thing to to be observant of right so we 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 dedicated an episode to talk about activision uh did any activision uh people reached out to you that were affected by the 800 people layoffs um yes many 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 activision blizzard workers from around the world got in touch with the international uh game workers unite organization and a lot of our local chapters um and on top of that um you know we had many activision blizzard workers already in the group you know um figuring out ways to support workers uh in the studio you know uh you know providing support you know emotionally and you know financially for people who uh found out they were laid off and uh you know had trouble making rent and things like that um so yeah that was <laughs> that that definitely took over the organization for like uh, a couple weeks and honestly I, we're still um we're still working around these kinds of things and um, sharing resources with one another and finding ways to support those workers, both still in the studios and, and now laid off. Um, it, it's just, like you said, uh, there's a certain rhythm to these layoffs and things. Uh, it really is cyclical and it just will keep coming until we make structural changes to our industry and actually mature the business and labor of making video games. Um, right now, the process and the structure that we use is just it's too unsustainable and too focused on you know making short-term return short-term returns on profits and things um as opposed to ensuring long-term stability for workers and it's just a shame it really is don't think that you have the numbers but the general consensus based on these people reaching out were most of them surprised uh, because we heard rumors that there were a lot that kind of knew kind of ahead because, you know, through Kotaku articles, there was this impending doom since November that layoffs were happening along with the quarterly earnings. Um, were these people that reached out was completely were completely um, surprised that they were the ones that got affected and, and everything? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think the main thing is, uh, 
I mean, there was an air certainly in a lot of the studios. Um, people kind of knew something was coming. And then especially once, you know, reports came out saying that in a week or two, for sure, there would be layoffs um, announced during the shareholders meeting. Um, I mean, that just totally changes the entire kind of conversation and atmosphere of a studio, right? Um, so, you know, people were preparing for that. People were having tough conversations. People, you know, were starting to polish up their portfolio and website, right? Like just in case. And it's unfortunate, but um, a lot of people, it, it's hard with these things. You never know if you're safe. Sometimes you feel like, you know, I do a great job. Um, I get good reviews from my manager and all these things, but uh, sometimes your name still ends up on the list. And so... Um, it really does a lot to derail the work and the culture and the, and the, you know, effort that people put in at work. So. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, like even myself, when I faced layoffs initially, it's like, yeah, I did a great job. I didn't have any complaints. You told me everything was going well, but you know, my performance didn't necessarily have a direct relationship to my expendability in the point where they're like mm-hmm. making critical decisions, you know? Um, so that I just I definitely want to reiterate on that for people who have gone through or people who have yet to go through like a big layoff situation. Don't think that just because you're busting your ass and working super hard, you know, that the the chariot won't swing low for you as well. It's I don't want to be like doom and gloom. I just want to create that reality that like, you know, keep your eyes open and always try to read the writings on the wall just to know what's going on around you. And, you know, always remember it's business, you know, that'll help is it's it's business, you know. You gotta. Yeah, no, no you're family, totally right. No family, like that's the. We say that a lot, and sorry to just kind of jump mm-hmm. in with all this, but I really want to mark this point for people because you're gonna believe that your friends and family and and that kind of thing, like they're always gonna take care of you. But at the end of the day, you know, numbers have to line up, and for better or worse, a company may have to decide, like, hey, you've been great. We can tell you nothing bad about your performance here, but we can't keep six designers. We have to get rid of three. You know what I mean? And, you know, shit like that happens, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, that's such an important point. And like, I think you totally hit the nail on the head. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're such, we're often sold this idea that, you know, if you just hustle enough, if you just work hard enough, if you just put in the hours and you just put in the effort, right. That, um, and if you're good enough, um, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to make it, but that's really not how this works. You know, we're sold that really hard and a lot of us buy it, right? A lot of us buy it and then come to realize, you know, after time that that's not how any of this works. But I think, I think it's in everyone's best interest to start really thinking critically about that kind of stuff and realize that, you know, when it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't matter how well you're doing, how your performance reviews are like, sometimes people just get cut and that's, and that's the deal. And I think both learning to be flexible and adapt for that and like prepare for those things is important, but also learning also how to, you know, um, organize and build leverage, um, so that when those kinds of things happen, you have solidarity and structures in place that can support people that can provide proper severance that can provide proper, um, cushions and support for, um, for workers who are, you know, now found redundant or whatever. And of course, that's in a typical situation, right? In Activision Blizzard's case, I mean, they were 
bringing in record revenue. Um, it was bragged about at the top of the shareholder call. Um, and then, you know, they also lay off 800 people and it's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> I definitely, that one actually hurt me personally because imagine being one of the employees that's like putting your stuff in your box and walking home. You might have Activision stock and have heard the shareholders call and like to see the CEO pumping confidence in the people who pump money into the company to then know that like, Nah, it's that's not the reality of the situation, because even with the company doing exceptionally well, so well that we're bragging about it. Right. Mm-hmm, 800 mm-hmm. people are now on Craigslist and, you know, game heads and looking for jobs or creative heads, excuse me, looking for jobs. And like one day's notice, like, hey, you didn't make the cut. You're out of here. I'm sorry. By the way, that earnings call that was for the shareholders. You weren't meant to hear that. Right. Like that's it really sucks. Yeah. And that's, and that's honestly, that's the real truth, right? The, the bragging about revenue and the kind of congratulations, boys, we've done it again, right? Record revenue, you know, we're doing great because they are doing great. The truth is they're not talking to or for or on behalf of the workers. They are talking to exclusively management, executives, um, and, and the wealthy shareholders who, you know, dictate how things roll, right? They're never thinking about the workers. They're never thinking about how do we, um, you know, best support them and make their lives stable and ensure that they can make the best possible games and company possible, right? Um, it's never about that. Uh, it just isn't, you know? And I think it's, it's one of these lessons that I think a lot of us have to learn sooner rather than later. In a unique case like Activision, which to me is uh, is a first for a, at least a long time where they would report profits, <clears throat> record profits, and then go ahead and, and lay off 800 people. Did that give more fuel to the cause? Uh, or or yeah. how, how, how did people react differently from this one than, than like a telltale type of situation? Right. I mean, I think, you know, with a typical layoff, it, often it feels kind of inevitable or, you know, the studio's closing or a game didn't sell right or a project closed. And that's just how it goes is kind of the way people um, kind of talk about it. But with this, I think the Activision Blizzard situation, for many reasons, kind of laid bare some of these inherent tensions and conflicts between um, the interests and needs of employers and the interests and needs of workers, right? Um, I think part of it is oftentimes you get, you know, your end of fiscal report and your shareholders meeting and then layoffs happen, you know, a quarter or two later. Um, Usually there's a gap of time between it. And I think the fact that they happened um, hand in hand near each other really highlighted the relationship between the fact that, yes, record revenue came in and they also cut off 800 people if they had waited three weeks three months or something right and then did the layoffs no one would have connected the two really except for maybe a couple people in at the bottom of like an article in kotaku or something right um i think the nature of them being so close in time to each other really highlighted to a lot of people the the kind of nature of what was going on there i think the fact that they were talking about and bragging about you know like you said record revenue i think that paired with the the kind of like heartbreak of 
800 people without work and maybe not being able to make rent, I think that also provides a stark contrast. And I think it, the whole situation was a situation of contrasts, right? Um, and that makes it such a more tangible, real thing. And so I think people responded very, very differently than typical. And I think people really started seeing things for, for how they really stand um, during the layoffs at Activision Blizzard. And can I ask you, uh, just like directly from the business perspective, right? Like, I don't want to just beat up on Activision and just be like, oh, they're doing X, Y, and Z on purpose. Let's say they knew they were talking to shareholders, execs and everything, and everything that they were doing to like show bravado or to like promote or prompt themselves up is doing so well is to protect stock price, is to protect, you know, mm-hmm. maybe business deals or things that we don't know about yet that are kind of relevant or relying on Activision being like a solid company. Um hoping that knowing full well that they were going to be laying these people off and that was going to create bad news. And this is kind of like, let's do what we can to try to get ahead of it and try to paint ourselves in a good light. Um, I guess, how do you feel about that being a possibility as far as like, and is that even an ethical thing for a company to do? Would you rather them just like, look, we're just going to be honest. We're going to, we're having a tough time knowing the stock may go down, knowing that, you know, people's retirement accounts may go down X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, but then put it all on the forefront and tell everyone the truth or the way that they did it, I guess, what's your direct comment and feedback on how they kind of chose to lay out that news. And if they were trying to protect the company, how do you feel about that ethically? If uh, you don't mind me asking. Sure. I mean, I mean, I I think the main, in terms of like delivery of the news, I think it was a, total disaster frankly um and this is coming from someone who's experienced a couple layoffs now some worse than others like the execution of it was really terrible one the announcement of it being uh you know uh following immediately uh just words after bragging about record revenue um that that is really poor taste it's poor judgment and I'm shocked that they they let Bobby Kotick do that on a on a call that everyone could listen to. Um, and then secondly, I mean, I think we saw it in all the reports um, and stories from workers in the days following the announcement is just that there were so many instances of, you know, certain studios not having a clear idea of who exactly was being laid off, workers having to wait a few days, people being told that, you know, here's like the actual group being laid off in the studio, and then workers like going to console them, you know, after work, and then coming in the next day, and also finding out, you know, delayed that uh, they had also been laid off. When, like, there's just such a bad execution and communication of what's going on, and that's just like bare minimum, right? And then if you talk about, you know, we're like the nature of how they were talking about it. I I actually would say that they kind of did come out and be truthful about what was going on with the company. And uh, I think the truth is the work that all of the employees at Activision Blizzard, um, that they had done created record revenue. And in return, the executives who, you know, bring in $30 million pay every year and give $15 million, you know, title job title change bonuses to their buddies those people who make 30 million a year were like well you didn't make enough and we're just going to take all these profits from your labor and we're also going to 
cut you off of the job, right? And you know what? Like, yeah, redundancies happen. And like, you know, certainly with like the merging of Activision and Blizzard, like there are going to be departments that are redundant, right? Like you might not need two full marketing teams or two full whatever, but but certainly could have been handled better. Certainly, um, uh, a lot of the people caught really weren't truly redundant. Um, and I don't know. It's just it, the whole thing is really quite a mess. And it's very frustrating, even from someone who, you know, uh, otherwise might be somewhat sympathetic to, you know, hard decisions having to be made sometimes by companies. Just the execution and the motivation and the fact that, yeah, the executives are rolling in massive amount of money every year and also cutting in 100 people from their paycheck is like, it's just the whole thing is disgusting. Yeah, the call to me, it was a clear demonstration of the backhand to game developers out there that, yes, we're doing this. So what? You're powerless. What can you do about it? Mm-hmm. And yep. it, it was clear that they felt that it didn't matter if it was the day of, you know. Yeah. And um, I was, I guess, sort of surprised that other competing companies didn't jump on this kind of like. Uh, just a little, a little like pushback. Ubisoft was the only one I felt that kind of teased how they too had record profits and they didn't lay off anybody <laughs> as a, like a few yeah. articles that I saw. Yeah. Um, but uh, the mindset, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why we, Larry and I would like to keep talking about this is that we ourselves have worked at high division and kind of have seen the, the type of thinking at the executive level. And um, they are a huge leader in terms of the AAA studios. Right. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. them to kind of lead by this type of example, and um, even though there was a good week of coverage of how everyone was kind of denouncing this type of behavior. It kind of faded off a bit quicker than the Mm -hmm. telltale situation where I feel this situation, there were a lot more employees involved and uh, it was exact opposite of reasons why you should lay anyone off. Um, I I think this had more of an impact of either failure through failure or success. Developers out there are defenseless and Mm -hmm. it just depends on how Bobby feels one day or another. (laughs) And that's a scary thought. And ultimately, it's not even about what Bobby Kotick thinks, because Bobby Kotick is just a representative of the shareholders and the board of directors, right? I mean, that's just the inherent nature of a publicly traded company, right? When you have a large group of wealthy people controlling the stock of the company, and they pick executives who they pay well enough to just follow every, you know, command and order and, you know you know, destroy the long-term stability and quality of the company for the sake of short-term revenue uh, and and profits for the shareholders. I mean, and frankly, I would appeal to, you know, a lot of game developers' sense of, like, systems design to understand that because genuinely, like, the inherent design of a publicly traded company is to create profits for shareholders. And that means often um, finding ways to uh, extract uh, the value of uh, workers' labor away from the workers and channel it towards executives and shareholders, right? 
um, they're really a parasite on the process. They make games more expensive to make. They make them, you know, less creative to make. They make uh, the industry far more stagnant in terms of, you know, being able to innovate and uh, make more interesting games and, and push the medium in exciting ways. And um, it's just the nature of the of that relationship, right? Like Bobby Kotick doesn't represent the company's workers. He represents the shareholders and all they care about are making sure that every four quarters they get more money you know what i mean um and even then he's not doing a terribly good job because um even by those standards right like he lays off 800 people which bumps the stock value nine percent right and you know so that looks good going into the shareholders meeting except for the fact that you know just a week or two later the the stock price was down to where it, it was before the layoffs happened and it's like the bump that he, you know, laid 800 people off to get in the stock value price, that's already gone because it wasn't a real bump in value. It was just a short term gain so he could report it back to the shareholders. I mean, it's just completely bullshit in terms of how to run a, a, a business stably and like with a long term view and in terms of how you treat workers and how you value them and how to make sure that their labor is actually um the fruits of their labor are coming back to them as well, right? Brandon, take a look at this, man. What's going on? Yeah, dude, this is what I made. Uh, started with a blank scene, and with a couple of button clicks, I have, hold on, this. Wow, dude. For a level designer and for any glimpse of being an artist this is actually impressive and how did you achieve this well okay i didn't make it that quick sorry guys but honestly i've been working on this for the last couple of days and most of the work was actually done pretty fast thanks to using the stuff that i have available on mega scans and quixel uh all my textures stole from them <laughs> i didn't make anything original there but the models i found i did all the placement and arrangement and i did it really fast I'm really excited that I, as a designer with no artistic skill whatsoever, can at least just do composition of artistic things. Like I can arrange things and thanks to Quixel, dude. So thanks to Quixel, like I actually am making environments for my games a lot faster now. So this is really cool. I'm glad that's, you showed me this. That's amazing, man. Yeah, I, I do remember showing you this. Uh, Quixel.com. Uh, instead of megascans.sc, even if you input the old name it's going to forward you to quixel.com and uh i did remember giving you a code that gives you 10 percent off for Thanks annual for subscription so this is their annual subscription already has a discount on top of their monthly but with our discount code gives you extra 10 percent because mm -hmm. we're that cool so gdu 10 Enter it in the checkout. We'll give you, again, 10% off of your annual subscription. And anything photogrammetry, texture, assets, anything that you want to use to get photorealism, go to Quixel.com. And you, you definitely hit on something that I've kind of echoed on this podcast before, but I'm going to keep on beating that dead horse is Hell yeah. <laughs> the like C-level executives kind of, and I'm just going to use Activision in, in this example right now, because I think that they've been victim to it twice in a very short period of time where you have C-level executives kind of using this as a stepping stone to get to a mm -hmm. very lucrative mm -hmm. long-term opportunity. Like Netflix isn't going anywhere anytime soon, in my opinion. So when you have a C-level exec who comes to Activision is like, hey, see that stock price when I came in and now it's worth $4 more? I did that. Netflix, come holler at me. Give me that <laughs> sweet-ass payday because I've proven mm -hmm. myself. You know what I mean? 
knowing full well that like that kind of thinking and that strategy is going to cannibalize not only the company that you're working for, but the industry and the consumers that that company is supposed to be serving. Mm -hmm. When I think about farming, and sorry to take this on a ride, listeners, but (laughs) when I bring it back around, you're going to understand. Farmers don't just go to their dirt and plant the same crop every year, every year, every year, because those crops take the same nutrients out of the ground, right? They rotate crops and say, okay, if I did corn this year, next year in this field, I'm going to plant, you know, or like maybe three, four years down the line, they plant something else to try to create a cycle so that they can keep their farm going for as long as possible. They don't just plant the thing that's going to take all the resources and then realize, wow, I guess I can't grow corn anymore. So I'm done being a farmer. Let me just shut this whole shit down. And that's the thinking that really bothers me about high level exec thinking Mm -hmm. in corporate style game developers or publishers is like, they are cannibalizing the industry. They are cannibalizing the consumers. They are just, just ravaging and wreaking and wreaking havoc on everything that we have taken 30 years to build up to this point, just to go from a 600 McLaren to a 720 McLaren. Like I, I just, it really yeah. kills me because we could have long-term sustainability as long as we look and nurture and grow with like a responsible eye, what we're trying to do as a business person. I want mm. CEOs that work like they used to do in the seventies where it's like, Hey, you know what? We're going to bring back pension. We're going to bring back that 20 years dinner, gold watch and a huge fat ass uh, 401k account. So you can ride off into the sunset. People aren't thinking like that anymore. They're just thinking about what can I do for me now that shows that I did well, so I can get more for me F everybody else. Like that's the overwhelming feeling that I'm getting from so many people who are making decisions at publishers across the board. I'm not just going to point to Activision at this point. I will say like, I'm overwhelmingly upset with many people who are decision makers on a high level because I don't see them reinvesting in the community. I see them just pillaging. I just see them only planting corn and not, you know, rotating their crops. <laughs> I love that metaphor because it's right on. I mean, you're totally just spot on. I mean, and, and to push it further, really, I mean, that same issue plays out in, you know, to, to take it even on a bigger tangent is it plays out in agriculture, right? We have lost our population of like local farmers and now it's all massive agribusiness corporations and they do exactly what you're saying where they don't give a shit if the land is like destroyed and depleted of nutrients and can't grow after 10 years. They're going to buy a massive plot of land that used to be really fertile and then grow the same damn like monocor- like monoculture crop on it, burn it out, but make a ton of money in the process and you know in games and in, in tv and tech and everything in agribusiness right every industry um just like you said right you know they bump the stock a little bit short term that means they can jump to another higher paying uh ceo or cfo position right and even when they fail right even when ceos and cfos fail at a company they still get to go land a fancy job where they're making way more money than they deserve to and it's it's just bullshit you know these people are paid to lead terribly uh, ruin the thing that they're supposed to be you know improving and then they jump ship and they can because they can fail upwards because they're rich right it's just the nature of it and it's it's really it's really disappointing you know as someone who cares about this industry a lot you know someone who cares about games as a medium and like just like also just a fun entertaining pastime like these people are the people to blame for the way this industry is, you know, starting to go in terms of, you know, some of the larger systemic structures that are starting to fail. It's, it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing. And I think kind of like to adapt your, your metaphor of the farmer, like 
um, game workers are the farmer, like the people actually doing the work of designing the game, making music, um, making art assets and, and, you know, um, producing the game and, and doing engineering, like all that stuff, people doing QA and community management, legal, um, you know, all those people, um, and so many more are the people who make the games and they make the games so wonderful and creative. They make the community so wonderful and creative and like sharing and supportive. These are the people who make the game industry and these these are the people who make games so wonderful, right? It's not Bobby Kotick. It's not your CEOs and CFOs. And in fact, those people don't know the first fucking thing about how to make a good video game anymore, um, if they ever did. And that shows in their leadership and that shows in the way in, in which they, they tank these companies and always fail to prioritize the right kind of things and making quality games. And it's just, yep. No, yeah, it's really frustrating stuff. You, yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah, I mean, Bobby definitely uh, tries to like uh, sweep this under the rug by labeling a lot of these uh, layoffs as non-developers. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge offensive term to anybody that contributes to the game, yep. even if they are not directly working on the game, like marketing, selling, all that that is involved to actually put a game through in front of consumers it's everyone's obviously there for a reason and so um it was a uh, it was disheartening to kind of hear that language and people were actually yeah. uh throwing that around the office saying that oh well you know it's non-developers and kind of buying into them. it's okay because it's not developers right as long as the developers don't get touched and it's like what are you talking about QA helps develop the games. Legal helps develop the games. You know, marketing helps develop the games. You're developing community. You're developing the quality of a product. You're developing the legal infrastructure to create products and make sure that they can continue to to expand in things, right? All of this is about development of games, right? Every aspect. I would even say the janitor who cleans up at night He's helping enable the development of the game because otherwise all of us game developers who aren't terribly cleanly sometimes, you know, we'll leave our wrappers and shit everywhere because, you know, of course, we're also crunching and eating in all the time. But, um, you know, like everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, it's really disheartening, but I think I, we've, we've been seeing a lot of changing conversation around, you know, who really makes games. Um, I think people are starting to understand the importance of everyone in the studio, of course, except most executives, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and you know, it kind of harkens back to like, we specifically chose game workers unite to avoid all of that because the point is like, even if people still want to use the term developer to speak to people talk like touching the direct like software product and non-developer to talk about you know other people doing kind of non-software focused stuff in in the studio the point is all of us are workers all of us you know in one way or another are you know we're disenfranchised at work we don't have democratic control over how you know our games get made we don't have control over the quality of our games you know sometimes when you know bosses like step in and force us to stagnate our design process and things um we're we're it's we're so we have to be so much more focused on yeah everyone in in the industry and everyone in a larger sense of the word you know what i mean um everyone needs to be involved and everyone can benefit from the support and and the power and the leverage of a you know a, a workers union so that's why we specifically chose that name and not game developers unite or something 
it's super important to us. And, you know, we would hate to have to compete with you guys for SEO for GDU. So (laughs) making it easier for us. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that was was a big consideration. (laughs) (laughs) You hear that, Brandon? We got taken seriously. (laughs) Fighting words over here. So obviously this year, there's a lot of momentum, as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of frustration, Mm. a lot of developers aware of Game Workers Unite on some level. And I I really do feel that you guys and what you guys have been doing have been great. And there's going to be a real impact this year, more than ever before, that people are going to come to these uh, sessions to conversate. Um, What would be the main takeaway mission uh, of course, it's listening, but what would you feel would be the uh, the main goal for everyone to talk at GDC in the weeks after? Yeah, yeah that's an awesome question. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, actually. Um, and you know what? Like last year was kind of we really caught a spark in the conversation and in the press, you know, uh, in and around the, the, the conference and the industry in general. And a lot of it was about kind of talking about unionization 101, talking about labor conditions, kind of 101, talking about a lot of the basics and kind of getting the conversation really started. That's really what last year was about. And this last year has been about, it's about a lot of education and, um, you know, informing workers about, you know, the, the, what, you know, what we're really staring down the barrel of, right? Um, this year, it's all about next steps. For me, it's all about what are the tangible, actionable, bite sized things that you, me, everyone, um, you know, all my family members, right? Like, what are the little things that we can all do to, to chip in and get a hand on the wheel, right? How can we all, help push this movement forward? How can we all, you know, do our part in organizing our studios, organizing our communities, helping educate our fellow, you know, people in, you know, not just our studios, but also in our player communities, right? How can we do a better job of uh, teaching people their labor rights, teaching people how to organize? What are the next steps? That's what it's all about for me. And that's what a lot of these, um, you know, sessions that we're having are all focused about, right? How do I organize in the games industry? How do I form a worker co-op for my studio, right? How do we get there, right? That's the that's the nature of like the roundtable that we're we're having, right? You know, unionization and next steps. Um, that's what it's all about. How to do those tangible steps forward. There was an article a few weeks back. Uh, I, I wonder if you can share it with the listeners out there are not aware where the national labor union recognized the game industry uh in an open letter to ask and encourage everyone to unionize can you comment on that a bit sure so um yeah so i mean i think it was about a week or two ago um liz schuler the kind of secretary of the afl cio which um the afl cio actually isn't a labor union but it's um the united states is kind of uh, largest labor federation it's kind of like a grouping and association of a lot of different unions throughout the country um it's certainly not all the unions in the country but it, it, it's a very large kind of um collective body for all the different unions and labor organizations throughout the country um so the secretary, Liz Schuler of the AFL-CIO, um, published um, a, an open letter on Kotaku um, kind of calling on game workers to, um, you know, start the process of unionization and like encouraging them and understanding that 
our labor struggles are not isolated. You know, our situation our situations are quite unique in the games industry. Um, we're an odd industry, right, with all kinds of different unique characteristics. But ultimately, the real the real tension is between workers and their bosses, right? How we can have a more democratic workforce, how we can have um, greater protections for workers. And I, I think the thrust of that open letter was really to talk about how we have a lot of commonality with other industries. We have a lot of com- commonality with our other our, our, our siblings in uh, other unions and things. And um, together we can, you know, build a, a larger sense of solidarity amongst the workforce and you know together we can fight to improve our workplaces right um so that was really interesting um and yeah that was published on kotaku i'm uh and i'm sure you could probably you know find it on there and uh you know read through that it was really interesting um and yeah she'll be on our like uh ask me anything i'm a labor organizer uh q a panel at gdc so that should be pretty fun too fantastic yeah, we're looking forward. Of course, Larry and I, representing GDU, will be there to record and and and, and share whatever we can. Um, it is one of the reasons why we started the podcast because you know, as we move forward and we age, we start to see more and more developers uh, trapped, feeling trapped at least. And uh, God forbid, like Artificial has another record profit year. Uh, <laughs> if this was 800, who who knows what next year looks like, right? And it, it does set, like we mentioned before, a really weird precedent. One is enough, enough, and um, it's a it's a very scary thought. And for the other kind of big companies out there outside of Ubisoft, not really commenting on this. I don't know if it's going to be a uh, if they're looking at Activision as a role model for this type of behavior, mm-hmm. seeing that the, the backlash is is still there, but really, you know, it has simmered down quite a bit. Um, yeah, and uh, which is unfortunate. I think it's really important to note that the industry can't be solved by a week of you know, intense conversations and discourse on Twitter. It can't be solved by a couple of Kotaku and Waypoint articles. All of these things play a role and all of these things help in having this conversation. But the actual thing that can fix a lot of these issues and help address these things and make sure workers have the most protections is always going to be day by day, week by week, month by month, making those little steps and organizing amongst ourselves and creating systemic change to help bring stability and maturity to the games industry. Right. So, and yeah, it it is sad that like, you know, these kinds of things happen, you know, week to week, month to month, it sounds like uh, nowadays, you know, always hearing about studios closing and layoffs. But the point is, we can't just organize around these individual one-off events. We have to be organizing every day, all day every month right every year until this stuff is fixed right there's a way to do this sustainably there's a way where workers can you know have you know better working conditions and you know feel safe um you know knowing that their job isn't going to just fall out from underneath their feet one day um and until we're there it's about making those tiny steps every single day um and so I really encourage people to actually actively get involved um, at, at bare minimum, you know, starting to do a lot of education work and reading about these issues. But um, 
people should really start considering getting involved because that's how we really change things together, actually working to improve it. And of course, you guys have been working day and night, you know, just taking in a lot of emails and questions and people wanting to be involved. In this past year, have any, you don't have to name anyone by name or company, <laughs> executives, leaders have actually talked to Gang Workers Unite and had an actual positive discourse discourse with you guys about this? Because, you know, there's two sides to this, right? Sure. Um, I mean, in a lot of larger studios, we do not talk to the employers because that's an, that's just going to be a, a real foolhardy move. Um, and it's really important. I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with um, organizing work and how that happens, it's really important for people to understand that organizing work happens under the radar and slowly and, and, and very cautiously because it's all about building uh, kind of relationships of trust and support and communications and on and communication and honesty in the workplace amongst the workers. And the goal is to keep that as private and under the radar of management for as long as possible. Um, because once they find out it's, it's much harder to do organizing work once you're kind of out in the open like that. Now with a lot of like smaller studios or mid-sized studios, we have had a lot of conversations with, um, studios of those type, um, sometimes talking directly with executives, sometimes talking with the workers. Um, some we've helped, you know, kind of coach through the process of turning into uh, worker cooperatives instead of uh, kind of a hierarchical uh, uh, kind of typical corporate structure. Um, and uh, so that's certainly something we've been doing. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, otherwise bosses in small and mid-sized studios have kind of come and talked to us and been like, I really think that my workforce should unionize. Um, how can, like, is there a way, like, I can just give you their contact information or vice versa and y'all can start working? Or, you know, in a lot of cases, after having a, an initial conversation, some of these bosses realize, wait, why am I a boss? Like, maybe this doesn't actually quite make sense. Why don't we just be a, like a democratically controlled um you know, workers cooperative. Um, and so a lot of begun that process to switch over to that model of game development as well. So, you know, there is a conversation to be had with, um, bosses and executives, but I think it's important to understand the context of in which those conversations are useful and when, uh, they're, they're not entirely useful. And certainly at a lot of these larger companies, it's important to know that inherently the interests uh, and needs of employers and workers are are at odds. It's it's a point of conflict, and they won't all, they will not fully align. Um, and we have to know that going in, and and not trust too willingly in being able to just ask them for better conditions, but actually planning to demand and achieve it ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely commendable for a lot of these uh, studio leaders, executives to come and ask and, and see how they can involve themselves. One of the things that I've uh, seen with Game Workers Unite, you know, the whole momentum and all, of course, all the bad news definitely helps with the movement uh, has been a lot of radio silence from from that side or even acknowledgement that this the, there is a movement kind of kind of happening where uh, maybe they don't feel threatened to even comment or they're just smartly, you know, PR wise choosing not to comment, which is probably 
I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's certainly probably plenty of executives and bosses who have no idea that we exist, mostly probably because, again, we exist almost exclusively in worker and dev centric spaces and communities. And we, you know, exist mostly on or not mostly, but in terms of like press coverage, we exist online, right? And so a lot of those people aren't going to know about us, really. Um, but then those who do, like, they have nothing to benefit from, uh, you know, calling us out or anything like that or criticizing us because, um, uh, you know, it just, it, there's nothing to be benefited from that um, and only possibly bad PR to be gained. So why would they do that? Um, so, yeah, I think you're kind of right on with that. And one of the things I think the general fear with uh, even attending this these type of session is kind of turning around and seeing your boss stay, <laughs> appearing into the room and <laughs> making eye contact. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I definitely, Larry and I would love to encourage a lot of a lot of devs that are going to GDC and listening to to actually show up because I think yeah. it is a huge, huge benefit obviously to everyone to kind of understand and listen because uh, as you said emma like it starts with solidarity between all the devs and there's still like a lot of discussions where developers don't understand or see how unionization can be harmful you know just misinformation or not not enough information so we encourage all types to have a conversation to kind of understand and see how it can or cannot be helpful because with any discourse, it's always great to kind of hear both sides uh, to help. Yeah, and I would say there's not even two sides. There's infinite sides. Everyone has their own personal, you know, baggage and past experiences and understandings of things and um, dreams and expectations for the future and all these things, right? Every single person has their own approach. And so, um, that's something we super value. You know, um, a lot of people often will join Gamers Unite, you know, a little skeptical at first, you may maybe even openly kind of critical, but want to wanting to learn more, at least for just the sake of knowing more and curiosity. And a lot of people tend to come around. I've actually seen, frankly, nobody, you know, kind of bristle and get, you know, uh, kind of uh, further entrenched in whatever pos- position they kind of came in with. Um, so I think it's always, always so important to continue to have these conversations and continue to, you know, reach out to all workers. And, um, because the fact of the matter is we can't do it without you, right? We need the support of everyone because at the end of the day, it's just about you and your coworkers standing up together and caring about each other and fighting to to protect one another, right? That's what this is all about. And so it can't happen with just a small group of people. It's about all of us having skin in the game and wanting to help one another. So it takes all of us. Uh, the, the conversation was sparked last year because, you know, for a very long time, being a game developer, going to GDC has always been learning about the tools and kind of pipeline. And at some point, you know, the business of creating startup and maintaining that that like success and so to finally hear this type of conversation at gdc which is kind of the the facto place for game developers um has been very encouraging and i can't wait i really can't wait to kind of uh attend these sessions hear what everyone has to say uh hear some good ideas you know um and of course again please please 
make some time <laughs> and show up. Um, is there anything in addition that you feel the next year could look like for a lot of game developers aside from, you know, more impending doom news, but <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, what what is next year going to look like with this kind of initial momentum and and everything? Sure. Um, I mean, I don't want to speak too preemptively, right? Um, I'm involved with multiple organizing campaigns and studios um, all over North America and in Europe as well, and there are far more organizing beyond that as well, right? And organizing takes. Uh, a long time on the scale of months and sometimes years, right? Especially when you're talking about massive companies. So I can't really guarantee anything, but um, I'm pretty, pretty sure, you know, and just me looking forward to the future. 2019 is the year where you're going to start seeing a lot of public campaigns starting to pop off where things come to light. There will be open, um, open campaigns in the light of day, right? Seeking active support from the community and our fellow developers. And, you know, um, some people will go with some unions and some, some studios will go with others. Some might just strike it out on their own and make their own independent unions. Right. Um, but whatever path, um, all the different workers and all the different workplaces want to take, we will support all of them and we'll be there to, you know, bridge that international solidarity, build that community, um, and provide material support to people as they organize. So 19 really is going to be the year of next steps, truly. Um, and I mean, that stuff has already started happening, you know, in Australia and the UK with actual labor organizations. Um, but yeah, 19 will be a wild ride. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. Can you kind of detail on, um, maybe briefly on what's going on over there for people who are not um, paying attention. To um, you mean like in, in, in UK in, and stuff? UK and Australia, yeah. Yeah. So um, for people who aren't familiar, um, the Game Workers Unite Australia chapter, um, actually kind of pretty early on last year, um, kind of uh, partnered with an existing uh, labor union um, dedicated for to like uh, media professionals and entertainment professionals. Um, the way the Australian kind of labor scene works out is like there's a, a smaller number of larger kind of cross industry uh, unions that people typically slot into. And so they decided to go with um, that particular media union and they kind of work pretty actively in tandem with them now. Um, and uh, in the UK, uh, the, the, the UK chapter actually formed an official branch of a, a larger union, the IWGB, um, and they are now a national labor union for game developers and game workers. Um, it's it's really exciting stuff, um, and it's been just so inspiring to me to see how things have taken off in other places, right? Um, and I'm, I'm very proud to be, you know, the fellow organizers and fellow worker of um, all of my friends in both of those places. and. Um, I know they only have a bright future going forward and there's just so much happening. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of this stuff, it's not on Twitter, right? You're not going to see the process of unionization on Twitter, right? It's all about kind of private conversations, one-on-one -on -one relationship building in a workplace. It's, it's about private conversations in, in people's homes, right? Over dinner. Um, that's where organization and like union work happens, right? It's, it's those, under the radar 
spaces and personal spaces. And so you won't see it on Twitter until those things hit like kind of essentially a tipping point, right, in their workplace. Okay. But um, they are happening and it is going on. And we're all very tired from, you know, working 50 hour weeks on top of our jobs and stuff. But, you know, this stuff has to happen um, and it is happening. And yeah. it, that stuff is really it just keeps the fire going in your heart, you know. Amen. Um, I'm excited to see the change occur, even if I don't see it happening on a day to day basis, just knowing that the people are coming together and for better or for worse, the more people do want to see a positive change and actually work towards it. I know that that's going to lead us to a more prosperous relationship with our employers being employees. Um, what I will say, though, is there was this really cool uh, Q&A panel. It's like a live Q&A panel that I knew that was going to happen really soon. I was really excited about it. Did you guys hear about that Q&A panel? Uh, no, I didn't. Man, it's uh, it's called the Fast Five. Oh, God. Where... I should have seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's where, uh, yeah, you're a veteran for our podcast. It's where I ask <laughs> you five rapid fire questions. And Emma, all I need from you to close us out is five rapid fire answers. Are you ready to all play right. the Fast Five? All right, let's see if Always. you beat your old score. First question. <laughs> what's your favorite video what's your favorite format to find out news about video games, game development? Oh, excuse, oh, I totally butchered that one. Let me <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite format to find out news about games, game development, blog, video podcast, or word of mouth? My little sister talking to me about what her high school friends are playing. All right, word of mouth it is. Next uh name the next blizzard franchise you think they're gonna take a swipe at on mobile after diablo oh shit i think it's overwatch okay next question a game location that you'd like to visit in real life uh pallet town kanto region of pokemon yeah that's a good one uh question number four what's your favorite childhood book that you think would still hold up today that's a tough one. Probably any of the Foundation series by Asimov. I'm not familiar, but Google will help me answer that after this. <laughs> question number five this is a trick question. Uh, how soon do you think we need to organize as a union, as you, in your opinion? The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but the second best time is right now today. Oh, I love that. God damn. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I, love, I love that. That's a fantastic answer. That's a really good time, too, by the way. Let me go back into the archives. You, Hey, you're actually 14 seconds faster than your last time. Congratulations. We are <laughs> making yeah. progress. Eventually, it'll get to like two seconds and it'll be bad. <laughs> if I didn't butcher that first question, you probably would have beat it by so much more. So I think I need this. all good. I need the uh, handicap. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it is also that time of the podcast where Brandon and I need to refill our coffee mugs to get ready for the next guest. So we're going to let you play with the soundboard, turn all the knobs and dials to whatever level you want. We recommend 11, but the microphones are going to be completely empty. So you can jump on them and talk directly to our audience to shout out, broadcast, promote, or raise awareness for something you're involved in, something you care about, or something that you think just needs more attention. And without further ado, the floor is yours. Damn. Um, how do I have all those good answers for those other questions? <laughs> um, I don't want to just shout out Game Workers Unite, which, of course, go to at Game Workers on Twitter, go to our website, GameWorkersUnite.org, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to tell people, uh, check out the game Butterfly Soup uh, by my friend Brianna Lay. Um, Fantastic game. It came out, you know, I guess a year and a half ago. It's about uh, a bunch of cute uh, queer girls playing baseball together. Um, and 
I don't want to shout out anything except for that right now for some reason. <laughs> that's that's actually wonderful. I'm going to go check it out right now. It's so funny and so good. It's like such a good, good, good game. Well, I've got a game to play that's brand new. Larry Charles here. I'm saying adieu. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks for having me on, y'all. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.